You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimau of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, 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 listen to X-Man podcast every day. What's up, y'all? It is the X-Man. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, apologies for a, probably a longer gap between episodes I've had in a while. And uh, I hate I hate to be apologizing, but, you know, sometimes these things happen. And specifically, I was in a, in Europe for a tour with Bad Wolves where we did this kind of amalgamation between uh, these giant festival shows and then smaller like headline shows in, in between. And it was a, it was probably one of the more breakneck tours I've done in a while, which I guess is pretty common. This, this like circuit that you'll do because essentially all your festivals are on the weekends and then you have to cobble together other shows. And then, you know, you're kind of, you know, and that ends up with very odd routing sometimes. So we had to fly. We had to basically play Download Festival, which is in the UK, one of the biggest festivals out there, and you know, hang out for about an hour, grab some lunch, and then go to the airport to fly to Austria to play Nova Rock. And then we had to fly to Czech Republic, and that's all on a weekend. And and you even and we even have a bus at the same time, so you end up kind of all these extra expenses. And it just, it really beats you down. And then the last few days we lost our bus, not lost it, but we couldn't maintain it for the last show. So we had to fly to Germany and then from Germany to Moscow. And it just, when you have all that back and forth and you know, you're not sleeping as much and you're kind of, uh, you know, just the physical act of going to the airport, you know, half of these European airports, you can't even like just, you know, get dropped off in front. You end up get, you have to be at like a, parking lot around the corner and you got to drag all your stuff and you have the equipment and you know, you're in every day there was just some problem because you have all these oversized stuff and they don't want to let you go here and you got to wait for this person. And it's just, it's a real hassle. Um, so that was, that was very, very exhausting. But with that, I, I had a great time on the tour. You know, I really appreciate the fact that with Bad Wolves being a pretty new band, you know, we're getting on some major festivals, uh, some decent slots and really performing well in the slots and getting really big crowds. Because you can do some of these festivals and, you know, 
maybe not get a great crowd. You know, maybe people are off across the uh, across the way watching some other bands, but we didn't have that issue. And the uh, the headline shows went really great. We had you know maybe uh, three or four sold out, and we had a couple venue upgrades and and a couple of the shows are actually some of the smaller shows the bands have done but they also were some of the f- most fun and a lot of it the, the enthusiasm was off the chart you know it was just really diehard fans and and great shows so it's and and from what i've heard when you do those those festival runs those in-between shows can be really rough you know sometimes you know, because there's so much competition, right? So we were in Czech Republic and just that week it was like Slipknot was there and Three Days Grace and some 41. And so you're, you know, one of eight shows that week. So especially us, we're by ourselves. We didn't even have like a package of bands or anything. It's just uh, some some local bands that, uh, that actually were, were pretty damn great. And uh, yeah, going to Moscow was really, really fascinating. Uh, a bitch to get in, even more of a bitch to get out. <laughs> Um, but it was really cool to go, so go to some place, uh, so different, you know, and, and, and it is because I mean, uh, like their language, the Russian, it's not, you know, like a Latin language So you go there and they have a different alphabet almost. So you go to a lot of places and you're like, all right, I can't make heads or, t- heads or tails out of, out of any of this. At least if you're in Germany or Italy, it's still relatively close enough, but you kind of forget culturally how, how different you are. Um. And obviously there's all these kind of weird political underpinnings between the relationship between the US and and Russia and go back to the Soviet Union for so long. And it's it's kind of difficult to not go somewhere and not think about all that stuff, you know, how um the I wanna say propaganda, but just all of the the public and the historical ramifications kind of color how you view a particular country or culture and and it's a, you know, it's a it's a complex idea of kind of kind of dealing with that. But you know, we we ended up playing this pretty big venue, and you know, you never know when you go to a place you've never been and how it's going to go. And you know, we had a great crowd; they were really excited, really young, um, and that was that was that was great. And and yeah, hopefully hopefully we'll we'll go back at some point because there's definitely a lot of hardcore fans out there so that was an experience got to, i don't know if you saw me on instagram or anything i got to go to the red square and it was beautiful at sundown can't complain i love it so anyway i'm yeah i'm really in the in the mode of gratitude and just with all the breakneck pace of everything that's going on i couldn't record any podcasts and i got home and battles is back in the studio working on a track and it's just been very very hectic so i cobbled together a really great episode I think you guys are going to like with uh, Chris from Bad Wolves, the last remaining member of the band to be on the show. And uh, But before that, I want to get into this week's sponsor. We have an L.A. band called Fate Destroyed, and we're going to play a song entitled Art of Betrayal. Check it. <laughs>
So that was Fate Destroyed with their track Art of Betrayal. Again, we have another female-fronted band, and this time it's Miss Francesca Destruct. Yes, and uh, we love it. We love having supporting the uh, you know female artists in heavy heavy metal and hard rock. It, it is it is awesome, and I appreciate them supporting this show. And they're actually you know they're they're not doing albums. They're actually just doing singles, which I think is an interesting tactic. We'll see how you know have to talk to them, see how that how that work, works out for them. And they have a music video for a cover song entitled "In the Pines." I don't even know who who they're covering. It's probably a really popular song, and I don't, I don't even know. And uh, that'll be coming out uh, later this month. And they're also playing Idlewild Festival in on August eighteenth. And yeah, they're from LA, and they're going to be doing a lot of stuff. So please support them. Check them out at Facebook.com/backslash/FateDestroyed, or you can check them out at FateDestroyed.com. And if you are interested in sponsoring the X Man Podcast. Please drop me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on social media, drop a line, DM, get in my DMs, you know, you know how you do. And uh, yeah, anyway, thank you guys for supporting the show. Now let's talk about our guest. I feel like he doesn't really need that much of a introduction. His name is Chris Kane. He is the other guitar player in Bad Wolves. He's a, he's a bona fide badass. This guy can play his ass off. He does, you know, he basically does all the the tight, you know, really on top of it playing. And I just, you know, I just hide amongst his, uh, his, his skill and talent, but, uh, no, he's a, he's, he's, he's awesome, man. You know, he's one of the guys I, I knew the least when the band started and, you know, one of the guys I've become probably the, the, the closest to, we, we have a fucking great time on the road and I love, I love hanging out with Chris and I'm, and I'm glad I've had the opportunity to kind of, uh, let you guys get to know Chris. So, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking and just let this conversation do the talking for us. Enjoy my conversation with the great, fantastic, handsome Chris Kane. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. 
But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon, from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Chris Kane on the X Men podcast. Finally, it's about damn time. The last wolf. Are you? Does that? I, I guess that makes you the baddest of the wolves. Does it? I don't know. From what you've been doing the last few days, I feel like you are the baddest wolf. <laughs> <laughs> he bad. He bad. Oh, I, man, I ain't having no fun out there. Are you kidding? Yo, me? here's the thing about the fun. Not allowed. Not no allowed fun. to have it. No. There, there, there is no fun. But how, how, how you feeling, man? We just came off an, uh, a very epic but also very grueling european tour how do you how do you feel about the state of things i feel real good now i'm just happy to be back in la like yeah. like don't get me wrong like i loved like all the shows and everything that we did they were fantastic you know but just you know creeping up on almost four weeks in europe kind of like takes a toll on you mentally yeah especially all the fly dates and all that craziness yeah. i'll probably talk about that in the in the intro of this i'm like listen guys your boy your boy shot but actually i felt pretty good i got home and i kind of like i was tired like i remember when it was like time to go to sleep i was just out and i slept for like 10 hours or something Me too yeah it was uh that wasn't a problem yeah but I, but i'll tell you this my time adjusted perfectly i didn't have to like there was no like oh i'm waking up at five in the morning like i pretty much went to sleep at like 11 p.m or something I think it was like there was one day where it was like uh, the second day that we were home that it was like a little bit weird with the jet lag. But I mean, like last night I went to bed at like eleven thirty. Yeah. Woke up at like eight thirty nine this morning. There you go. You Back. Know, but you, you're you know, you're an early guy, so you guys don't know about Chris. So you know he gets up early. You know has some coffee. You know is and he's being productive. You know he's helping people out. He's he's moving things. He's like calibrating. Uh, electronics and stuff you know he's being you know he's a re- he's a real you know has that midwestern ethic you know these are the motherfuckers that invented oatmeal y'all all right because they were <laughs> they were trying they were trying oatmeal. to get up early and get shit done all right motherfuckers that eat oatmeal are very productive people i'm just saying i mean it's just the midwest in me that's what know? i'm saying you Red know and you know heart. a lot of motherfuckers that eat oatmeal right <laughs> yeah like my grandparents <laughs> he was a kid by my grandfather he did invent oatmeal yeah, so you know <laughs> so anyway um no i'm really glad to to finally have have you on the show because i'd say out of, out of all the members of the band um you're the one that probably had you know the lowest public profile you know um you know obviously me john and tommy have a pretty prominent history and we were kind of at the center of a lot of our a lot of our bands and Kyle had just been in a lot of bands and been, been around even though he maybe wasn't the face of a lot of the a lot of the projects but you know even you know meeting you and J- and jamming with you I was like I don't, I don't know who who this who this young book <laughs> <laughs> um so I so so I am I am very glad that that you are here because I think a lot of people you know when you have a band like ours that is uh, is having some success and has a a pretty uh, rabid fan base, you know, they want to, they want to hear from you. They want to know what, what's your deal, where you're from, how did you get here? You know, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you want me to start here? Listen, here's the thing. I'll be. I'll do the fucking interview. All right. You fucking. <laughs> you, I ask the questions. You answer. Yeah. This is how it works. Right. All right. You son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> well, let's I don't get, care it. How let's much get oat, to it. I don't care how much oatmeal you eat. All right. You're not gonna tell me. Push me around. Hey, you know, just to, you know, real quick. It's corn, okay? That's what we ate now. Well, we ate corn. Corn. You put corn okay. in the oatmeal? <laughs> Call it cornmeal, all right? Corn. Oh. <laughs> See, you know what? It's all coming together there you now. Go. Listen, corn, versatile food, um, no nutritional value, but delicious. Very delicious. You know, I've got corn recipes out the wazoo. You want really? me to make you want me to come in and make you some corn casserole? I'll blow your mind. See, I thought you were like focused solely on the barbecue. I didn't know this this like delved into the, no, the this corn. Is, this is some old old recipes passed down. Like there's recipes out there for corn mm. casserole, but there's not a recipe like what my grandma gave to my mom and my mom is gave there to me. Cheese on it? It's cheese on top. Okay. All yeah, right. Don't you worry you about me. that. All right. Well, listen, I'm I'm a, I'm a cream corn enthusiast. I'm a I'm sour a sour cream in it. I'm an on the cob enthusiast. <laughs> enthusiast um you know so you know i'm listen you talk you came to the right place for the for the for the corn talk but we're, well we're not actually you know what let's go to the corn all right um not the band <laughs> uh corn with a c no so uh i think this will be interesting for for people you know why don't you you tell sorry i like I'm, I'm i'm gonna lead you into the you know in in, in into this one tell tell people about the time did you meet me or you saw me or what we we interacted back in the day at this festival in Iowa? Why I want you to tell people that story. I'm trying to remember the year. It was probably um, It was like 2005. Yeah, or that's what six, I was going to say. Something. something around there. It was the uh, it was called the Iowa Metal Fest. Real yeah. that's a real original name. I like that. They're like, "Well, we are in Iowa and there will be metal." So <laughs> Um but yeah, no, I remember um you know, I was, you know, I was a fan of God forbid and uh my band was playing i think we we had just gone on stage and i like right before we went on like i saw like you guys just pulled up or whatever i think you and your brother were coming up just to kind of like check out the show or whatever but i remember like looking back and seeing and like it was, i was like 15 or 16 years old and i was like oh shit doc coil's like watching this <laughs> and then uh um then after we got done i think i uh, i saw you backstage real quick and just kind of said what's up and just you know you were really cool it was just really brief but um yeah, that's pretty much about it. It was just yeah. That was so. That was one of those, you know, weekend excursions. So we would do tours and you know, kind of do okay. And and that was but when the band was doing actually really really well. But we could go and like you get these random offers in the middle Midwest, and they would kind of overpay you, you know. And so it wouldn't be that bad to go and rent a rent a van and drive out, do a couple shows. Oh, go play up, up here. And I think the guy lost his car. His okay. So, no, the- so that's, so that, so there's <laughs> the other part of that story. Yeah. So I remember this, this Iowa show being, cause that's what I'm saying. So, 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 uh, one of my, one of our, uh, booking agents, uh, I don't even know if he's, if he still works for the, for the band, but, uh, uh, Dan DeVita, he said, this is like a thing when you're, you're kind of an independent band. He's like, sometimes getting a show offer, it's just a guy with an email address. You know, yeah. So you get like a, you know, you get an email. Hey, we want to offer you five thousand dollars to play this thing. And so what often what a, an agent will do is when it's a un, it's a promoter that doesn't have a great reputation or credibility, they'll either ask for a fifty percent deposit or one hundred percent deposit. And I imagine this must have been a fifty percent deposit because <laughs> the show was pretty shot. I remember it was pretty muddy. Yeah, and it was. It wasn't. It wasn't really a, a great situation. But we we played. I have no memory of the show. 
right now. But I do remember that it was us and full blown chaos. That's right. Had to like basically shake down the promoter, and I think we like drove him to a ATM. It was pretty. It was pretty brutal. Me, I was not. The, I remember Ray telling me this story about it. Yeah. Like years years later, we got well, we toured together, and he was talking to me about what he did. And I'm well, not going to get into detail on it, but no. But I mean, listen, this is something that would happen all the time and and you would you would kind of have the the muscle in the band you know we're, we're lucky to have a, a pretty big uh singer who looked like the predator who you know <laughs> but we need we need to bust him out of his uh out of his packaging but yeah but that that's my kind of definitive memory of, of that but we would have we would go out and do these things it would be it'd be pretty fun sometimes you get paid sometimes you have to go and uh grind for the grind for that that loot who were, what band were you playing with at the time i was my local band with the, we had a, a sick name too it was called burning the broken it was fucking i like that name <laughs> here's about the broken they should be burnt all right those pieces of shit get it together you damn cripple all right i no, guess I'm just that kidding. was our uh our do logic not, do, behind it do not cut that out and put it on blabbermouth all right you guys are gonna 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 mess me up um, so you basically that was like high school band. Yeah. And was that your first band? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Well, I mean, like when I was younger, like around like maybe 13 or like 12 or 13, like, uh, one of my best friends down the street, he played drums and like, we would, we would jam in my garage, but like, there was nothing. So were you like a real prototypical hardcore kid? Can we call you? Or were you more like, what was your vibe? You were more of a metal nah, guy? I was, I was a metal guy all the way. It took me like, it actually took me a while to kind of get into like hardcore and like, you know, like that genre of music. Yeah. So I was pretty much, I was definitely more of a metal kid. Like, you know, I was really into Slipknot. I still am now, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, like, like Corn as well. And um, like Lamb of God and just, you know, like that, that, that style or like that, you know, that type of metal and then it wasn't until um i met a buddy of mine his name is uh joe ellis uh he's just this kid from des moines and uh he was the first one that really kind of introduced me to like hardcore music um the first like hardcore band was this band out of des moines called uh too pure to die i was gonna mention too pure to die yep i was uh and like that was uh like kind of the first hardcore band i would say that i really got into and kind of were they straight edge they were okay the name it's a very straight edgy name so yeah and then like shortly after that like you know i you know i went to uh i went to go see Hatebreed, and like mad ball was opening and like i was like i guess the first time i ever seen like a show like that yeah. and i was just like holy shit and like that's <laughs> what is this <laughs> it is I, I think it is a, a bit of a, a culture shock um especially at like you know 15 years old and like not really like never seeing anything like that or whatever the 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 violence it was oh hey i'm sorry terror was on that show too that that was like i forgot about that it was when terror uh hit the stage that's when shit like got crazy and i was like (laughs) yo this is this is i've never seen anything like this you know yeah terror terror changed the game man for for some reason that band see i was uh into scott's old band buried alive i remember Uh, buried alive and uh stylistically it wasn't that much of a difference but for whatever reason the attitude and when that band came out and kind of who was in it it was they just had this reputation like when they came out the the fucking shows were apeshit to, to this day one of the one of the craziest shows i ever saw was we did a festival in germany and like uh agnostic front headline kill switch shadows fall chimera and terror played caliban and terror was like the like you would have thought it was like pantera on fucking <laughs> vulgar you yeah. know in a club though it was fucking nuts 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I've uh, I've seen them multiple times since, and every time I'm just like, shit doesn't slow down. Yeah. So, so were you one of those kids? And this is a bit of a rhetorical question because I feel like I know the answer. That just like stayed in your bedroom and just shredded all day to get sick of guitar. Um, I mean, when when I first started playing guitar, I would say for like uh, the, the so the way that it happened was when I was 11. Um, my uncle, uh, he, he used to like have interviews like with like band, like, like Ozzy and like Iron Maiden and like, just for example, you know, he, what, well, he was a journalist. Or? He was like a journalist. I'm sorry. Yeah. And out of Chicago. And so he was the one that really kind of introduced me to like the hard rock and metal music and stuff like that. He would always like come by like during the holidays and like bring me like a stack of CDs and stuff like that. And I just remember he gave me like a handful of like kiss records and like, um, and then I like you know I was like, now were they actually records or CDs? They were CDs. Okay. <laughs> I go back compact, to the records, baby. Compact discs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I remember just like you know going on the Kisses website and you know looking at the tour dates and I saw that they were playing in Iowa and I just was just like I was like Dad I was like I want to go to this show I really want to go to this show and you know he was always like he was always super cool about taking me to do stuff like that and we went and then the next day. You know, after the show, I was just like, I was like, I want to play guitar, you know, and like that. Like How old were you? I was 11. It's pretty amazing, actually, hearing that, that a band like Kiss, who theoretically was not a contemporary of your time you were getting the music, can still have that impact on, on young people. It was, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was like, you know, Ace Freely and his guitar solos, you know, and seeing it live and just like, it was just, it just, yeah, it just hit me when I was watching the show and I was just like, that's was what Ace I want to do. He was. This was on the farewell tour in uh, 2000. Um, Peter Chris was playing too. He was. Uh, he's. A, I'm not really a big Peter Chris fan. Sorry. Well, because <laughs> it was the original lineup, so it was cool to see it. Like hey, that, you got you to know? see it. You, yeah. did get, you did get to see it. And so the next day, um, I remember like my dad was like, "All right, let's go. Um, you know, let's go get you signed up for guitar lessons." Because like uh, that, my uncle that I was talking about at the time, he had given me this uh, acoustic guitar, and he also gave me this Fender Stratocaster that was uh, one of his personal guitars, but he's just like, I don't play it anymore, so take it. And so we went to this one place, this one music shop called Riemann Music, and we walked in, and I don't even know like where it came about, but I was just like, I was like, I don't wanna take lessons here. This seems too much like school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then um, he's like, okay, he's like, well, I remember driving past the place like down the street from your mom's house at the point my parents were divorced so i was like living in separate parts of town every other week and so he's like i think it's close enough we go there he's like you can walk there if you have to you know you don't have to worry about a ride or whatever place was called a uh, yield guitar shop and we walked in it was just like mom and pop tiny little place and like i met uh michael curry which was uh you know my guitar teacher that was like the first and it was weird because as time went on and i took lessons from him it was like rare that he was in the shop so it was kind of almost like it was meant to be like i walked in that day he was there he like said hey greeted us right away and he's like he's like yeah he's like i have openings available and stuff like that and i come to find out that's like where mick thompson and jim root learned guitar lessons from that with, same guy from that same guy at that same shop that's nuts and then gave guitar lessons as they got older before slipknot really kind of took off and you know that was like the place to be i guess so and it okay. was just kind of like and if it wasn't for like, you know, my dad more or less just being like, you know, he's like, I remember this place, it's closer to the house you can walk to. And, you know, I think it was like 
15 bucks for a half an hour lesson or something like that pretty like, good yeah i like that with inflation baby <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that was uh yeah that was a little bit wild to me like i didn't really know that at first it's just i, I was after you know over years of taking lessons it's like you know i started to and he would show me things like you know here's like you know all the mick and jim's like you know books that they use when they were teaching students and stuff like that and i would see them in there every now and then and did uh, you ever meet them did you ever yeah yeah they were they were like um uh, i remember like i had this um epiphone sg like one of those ones you get out of the box that comes like with the the combo amp and shit oh, you, wow. know? you know what i'm talking about like i i i not from firsthand experience but i do know what you're talking about yeah so i had one of those um and I, I you know i still have it back in iowa tucked away somewhere but yeah he uh he signed it with like a it's like a silver ink pen i remember yeah i was like uh, it was just one of those moments i was like holy shit <laughs> right now have you have you seen any of those guys since bad wolves is a thing uh i have not uh just because i guess the only person i've seen is is sid and like yeah. we've you know, we've, t- we've kind of briefly talked well, about it. Well, I got I to, you know, reintroduce you, you know. Like those, <laughs> my man's yeah. from Iowa. He's got some stories to tell you. <laughs> well, you you did introduce me to Corey um, at the Dime Bash. Oh, right on. So Very uh, cool. Did and, you get to talk to him or just was quick? No, it was, I mean, it was, it was a quick conversation, but you called him over and was like, you know, Corey, this is Chris. He plays in Bad Wells. He's also from Iowa. And, um, you know, I'm from Urbandale, which, you know, I don't think he was from Urbandale, but he, like, when I said that, he was like, oh, no way. Like, that's, like, suburb. Well, those suburb. those guys, man, I, I do think where they're from really matters to them. And they, you know, obviously, Naomi, Album, Iowa, I think a lot of them still live there or at least part, part-time part live live yeah. there. So I think that, that matters to them, and they're always going to, like, take that to heart, you know, when they have someone who's from there, especially another musician who's out here, like, you know, in the game trying to trying to make it so I, I think it's good to have those connections yeah so the same thing like you met some motherfuckers like yo this dude's from jersey i'm like where away <laughs> from player right <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no definitely um you know proud to be like midwest people like myself you know it's like we're we're, we're proud we're like not ashamed from it it's like i get a lot of people that being like what iowa idaho like you know just like yeah. the clown on it a little bit and it's like it's fine <laughs> <laughs> listen i'm from jersey no one gets more sh- more shit talked about maybe florida florida gets gets a lot of shit but jersey we get we get hated on from everyone we get hated, hated on from the the surrounding states we get hate from because especially ever since the jersey shore came out you know, oh yeah, we're basically persona non, non grata. We're just like we're trust me, we're like the hillbillies of the Northeast. So it's okay, <laughs> copy that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no. So how long did you take lessons? Um, I took uh, so when I was from about eleven to I took uh, up until I was like sixteen. But like the first three years of taking lessons, I was doing I, I you know I wanted to learn like metal guitar and you know that stuff, and then uh, and then I don't know what happened, but I remember one day I was in there and then my Michael, my guitar teacher was playing in a, playing a classical guitar. And like, you know, I obviously had seen him on the walls and stuff like that, but I had never really like heard, you know, it being played so like perfectly and like, it was beautiful. And like, um, and so then like, I remember I had like a hard turn. I was just like, so then I took two years learning classical guitar, like learning how to read music. You're just telling me this now? I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying we could have had a classical section on the on the new record. Um, but here's the problem, though. What's the problem? The problem was it's like I was really into it back then, and I was getting better, and I was you know, and then um, 
And then I got my license, and then I got a car, and then I started getting lazy with it. That's all right, I, but you know, know. Like, it comes back like like riding a bike. I'm, I imagine if you picked it up, you'd be like, "Yo, Doc, and sound like Legend of Zelda and shit." And I'm like, "Fuck you, you talented <laughs> bitch." You know? I mean, no, I the second that we have enough time, like I well, I say this to myself all the time. I want to take lessons again and 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 get back into classical guitar because it's it's a lot of fun just playing it. Yeah. And like uh, challenging yourself because shit ain't easy. Yeah, no, yeah. no doubt. And and you're you're out there all alone. There's no nowhere to hide. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So that's 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 no joke. I didn't know that. See, this is why we do this. We learn things. This is be, this is beautiful. So, uh, when did you end up getting with that band? You said around what that 15, 16 age. Yeah. Um. Just yeah. When I was in high school, I think uh, what was I was like freshman or a sophomore. Um. Just met some homies like at school. You know, um, my best friend, Dan Powell, at the time, he was, you know, always said he wanted to be like a singer or whatever, screamer or whatever it was. And then um, he knew his kid, Chris, um, Chris Heffelfinger is his name. <laughs> Heffelfinger? Oh, yeah. I knew I that, that I would get you. I can't let that linger. No. Nah. <laughs> Shout out to Heffelfinger. That's right. Um, I'm sure no one, no one bothered him in school about that name at all, right? I mean, put it this way. He was a good-looking motherfucker. He got all the girls, and he shredded on drums. Nobody could talk shit about him. He was, oh, athletic, as, he was athletic as fuck, oh, too. He like, was using his heffle finger for them ladies. I yeah, see he, what's didn't, up. he didn't give a shit. He okay, just, yeah. okay, okay. So, but yeah, I remember, like, because, like I said, when I was early, uh, younger, I played with, like, my friend down the street, and, you know, he was a, basically, like, like a, a doom, doom, da, doom, 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 da, type of drummer. And then I get with this kid, and this kid's like, like, just so on point. Like, his double kick was like the craziest shit I've ever heard. And, like, but, um, and then, uh, then, then he introduced me to a buddy, you know, he's probably one of my lifelong best friends now, Emmett Tyler, who, uh, played bass. And luckily his dad was like old hippie musician, and like, he let us, like, practice in the basement and was always like really supportive and you know it was uh it was a it was a good click you know the four of us um now at, at, at this time you know it's because you know that's in in many ways i think that's such a common um trajectory you know of how we get into music and how we start playing with bands and kind of developing you know the kind of the garage band the high school band it's it's such a a, a common thing but you know there's so many different paths you know most of us do that and then go to college and kind of like, oh it's kind of a fun thing i did as a as a hobby um but clearly you that didn't totally happen um did you have any aspirations of doing music professionally when you were in high school or is it more just doing it seeing where it goes kind of thing and you had kind of other other things in the back of your i think mind? i knew when I, I like when i left that kiss show i was just like i was like yep <laughs> it's like this is it um because i um i really had no aspirations to go to like college or anything like that like i graduated high school early because i wanted to get the hell out of there and like i graduated early and then i went on tour with two period to die because jordan the guitar player who i became friends with he was just like yeah he's like we got room in the van if you want to come you were just like a like a tech or like a roadie yeah kind of i or mean like I, guy. i'm just like hanging out and just like kind of did what like helped out when like i could or whatever but you know he he offered to you know he's like if you want to come out with this you can but the tour is in 
the springtime of 2007 and like 2007 was the year i was supposed to graduate high school so the only way i could have done it is if i graduated high school early how do how does one graduate high school early you gotta you, you gotta have like a good guidance counselor and then make sure you're in with the dean of students oh wow look at this guy <laughs> um it was no i was i was lucky because like they all told me even the principal and everybody like that they were just like they're like yo we don't do this for everybody like you you're supposed to be signing up for these things like midsummer so it's i hit them with this in like october november and we in like the winter break was in december and i was like yo i want to graduate early and i had like all the credits and everything to where i could do it yeah and like they were just like all right chris kane motherfucker i don't really get that you. Think, about, think about this <laughs> to have you come to school for a few months cost them money wouldn't it wouldn't it be if you already have the credits why would they you know it's just like i hate, hate motherfuckers just doing shit because they think they're supposed to man anyway enough yeah. of them enough of them fools so you went out you went on tour um and did your did you get like any pressure from your parents to to go to school or like they're like what the hell are you doing with your life kind of thing um like a little bit on like my dad my dad was a little bit like it, he was he was also very supportive like because yeah. he like yo chris we got all this corn over here <laughs> right the fuck you doing man we gotta cream this shit up <laughs> we got a casserole to make <laughs> um I mean, no, but for the most part, like, they were both very, very cool and supportive. Like I said, like, sometimes my dad would just kind of make comments every now and then, like, all right, you know, well, how much how much longer are you going to be doing this? Like, when are you going to just decide to kind of yeah, get, get it together? Yeah. Um, but what was cool was it's like, so I went on that tour with Two Period to Die, and we were, and they were uh, opening for that band, The Warriors and First Blood. Yep. And uh, Real hardcore uh, tour. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. And <laughs> Since the Flood was on it as well. If you remember them. Yeah, they were heavy as fuck, right? Like, yeah. kind of beat down. And that's when I met Ray from Full On Chaos, because he was actually filling in on vocals gotcha. uh, for that tour. And then when that thing wrapped up, I remember uh, Javi, the guitar player from The Warriors, asked me, he's like, he's like, well, what are you doing now? Like, now the tour is over with. And I was like, um, probably go back to Iowa. I don't know. And it's just <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, why don't you just come with us? And like, you know, cause like we got this other tour coming out with August Burns Red and Evergreen Terrace. Um, you know, I can see, you know, he's like, you're the homie, you know, you, you seem like you want to be doing this. Why don't you come with us? And so I did. So I just, I just, you know, I didn't go home. I just kept staying out and like went out with them. And then, um, but during this time where you ever was in your mind, like, okay, this is kind of cool being on the road, but. I need to be in a band. I need to be playing with someone or else this is kind of just... Well, that's where, the, that's where like, this story kind of turns here is because... Uh, so they... I'm trying to remember, like, what the management company was called. But uh, the manager for the Warriors, this guy, Sean... I'm was drawing, Artery? Yes. See? I almost, like, had that in the back there of my head. There you go. Sean yeah. Carano. Yes, exactly. Damn. I've been around, fool. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll never forget... And this is a funny story, and I'm just gonna tell it because fuck it. Um, we were in Texas, and then I, I, I'm in the back of the van, hooking up with this girl, and Javi naturally, naturally, Javi swings the door open, and he's like, he's like, hey, Chris, he's like, Sean's on the phone, he wants to talk to you because he has this band that needs a guitar player, and I was like, what band is it? And he goes, Elijah. That's why everybody called Elijah. It was pronounced Elijah, but he's like Elijah, and I just remember saying. Man, fuck that band and fuck that shit. I don't want to do it. And because I, I was so occupied with what I was doing. At the time. You had a tit in your hand. Yeah. And so um, maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, or whatever, come out of the van. 
and hobbies. Oh, you were done. Oh, you were done. In the van. I was like, were you done? I was finished. <laughs> <laughs> and then we come out. I come out of the van. He's sitting there, and he just looks at me again, and he's just like, he's like, all right. He's like, are you ready to like get serious and get on the phone with him? And I was like yeah i guess you know like, i don't know why i was being i don't know why i look back on it i don't know why i was being the way i was about it and being Listen, like man, too get, cool for school it ain't that man when, when you got a hard dick man you can't concentrate you gotta <laughs> it's like it's like you come to your senses it's like the hulk after you know he's not the hulk anymore and he goes oh where am i and his fucking you know his clothes are a mess and he's got like he's in a different zip code and he's got to figure out and he's like oh shit i gotta get you know you know and he, he comes to his senses yeah, that's my theory. I, which I did. I, I eventually came to my senses. Um, and so I get on the phone with Sean, and and he's just like, yo, he's like, I'm sitting here with Zach, the singer of the band, and um, they're looking for a new guitar player. And like, uh, he's like, from what Javi's told me, that he's like, you're you're a solid player. You know, he's like, I was 18 at the time. And he's like, you know, everybody in the band is, you know, 17, 18 years old. Um, I think this would be a good fit. Like, can you come to Sacramento tomorrow? And I was just like, okay. And like, uh, I had no money at the time. So I remember calling my dad and, and like explaining the story to him. And, uh, you know, luckily he bought me a, I think I was, I was in like Florida, like around, like, I think Orlando or something like that is where we were, like where we had, to, where we ended up before I flew out. And, um, like I said, my dad bought me a flight to Sacramento. And so then I flew to Sacramento and, uh, I had about four days to learn like a 30 minute set before we had these three shows. One of them being like Jerry's pizza showcase theater. And, um, the other one was supposed to be somewhere, but it got canceled. So we played in somebody's backyard. As we call the, the West coast circuit. Yes. You know? Yeah. But, um, so like, that's how, uh, I mean, that's how I got into that band and how like that. Was that the band with Mike Terry? No. Oh, I thought he had a band. He had a, it was there similar. Oh, uh, Cassius. Cassius, no, I'm thinking of something else. He had, he had, it was, he had like a rock band thing that was had a similar name. Oh, um, yeah, that's that was later on. Me and him did that in yeah. Iowa. It's called Iva. Iva. See, I see. I'm getting all my my eyes and shit mixed up. <laughs> but this, uh, yeah, this band, um, it was back when MySpace was like. Remember when MySpace yeah. was huge, and they were like one of those MySpace bands that like had a ton of views daily and. Shows were doing good, and so and so I, you know, long story short, I flew to Sacramento. I joined the band, first tour, and like this is like okay, I had I left after high school, and this is almost like eight months. I still hadn't like really gone home. I've just been out yeah. on the road and just, and um, then we got a tour with Stick to Your Guns, uh, and then and us and uh, this band called Knights of the Abyss. I believe, yeah. that, I believe that's who it was. Seen that. that name around. Yeah. And so, and that went really well. It was crazy. We were doing like for the type of level that we were at, pulling three to sometimes 600 people a night. And these shows were fucking insane. I didn't understand the magnitude of this MySpace <laughs> band at the time. It was like, you know, it was like one of those, those shows where there's no barricade. And like, you know, the second the sing-along comes on, it's almost like a wave of people just running on stage and then just like, stage diving and it was just violent you know it was cool it was a cool experience at the time i'm not gonna lie we like, call the scene yeah it was it was the scene yeah well it's uh it was a deathcore band you know well yeah i mean and at, and at that time <clears throat> you know i i i it's very interesting because i've been on many sides of that in terms of being involved in the scene being a band that was kind of part of it left it and then you and you see that there's essentially 
So when you have like a band like that that's on the come up, right, and has this support, and you go and do a show, and three to six hundred people show up. See, now about like a hundred of those people are actually fans of the band. The rest of the people is you're essentially getting a community bump, right? It's like people are there because we're at the scene show. This part of the scene. This is one of our bands. This is one of our, and it's kind of like, it's uh, and you basically have a period of time, like this grace period where you can, a band's career can coast of getting support from the scene where eventually those, a lot of those kids will age out, you know? So they're the, you know, the people going to that show are between 14 and like 22 maybe. And then a lot of those people, they're just literally going through a phase. And yeah. they like they they're like, oh, remember that time I was a hardcore kid or a deathcore kid for those five years? And then next thing you know, they're like in the hip hop or EDM or something. And you know, and there's different versions of that depending on what era of the scene you're 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 talking about. But you know, I never got to really experience that from a firsthand experience for a long period of time. So I can I can vicariously, you know, enjoy your your experience where you got to have the sing alongs and everyone going crazy and you know, it's pretty cool. Well, it's funny that you say that because like that's so accurate because like one year later it was like the attendance was real low it was the buzz you were they yeah. were buzz band yeah absolutely and it and it was fun while it lasted it was about i would i would say it was like a six month run where it was it was it was crazy yeah and then um and then well i it also what we did was when we went in to write the next record um we went and recorded with kurt Ballou from converge that's you so you you actually did a record with kurt yeah what was that experience like oh it was amazing it was in it was amazing it was in salem massachusetts at uh god city no i've uh, I've known kurt forever and i'm such a fan of his production and kind of he's so old school very old school but um it was uh it was cool because um i tracked all the guitars and all the bass and on the record so i got i got to sit with him a lot yeah and like you know work on tones together and then just like was it to it, a click or was it uh yeah we did we played it to a click i think we played to a click god i don't even know why i can't remember was but, he was he like uh very rigorous and kind of on top of your shit or was he more into like the vibe and kind of being a little more live was, with it he there were certain things that 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 he was like that about like if, if something naturally happened and it was cool he just we'd kind of like leave it but uh, you know a lot of times he's I wouldn't say like a perfectionist, but it was just like he would push you to make sure it was done right. His records are tight. You know, it's it's, it's kind of idea of of taking, you know, noise to a certain degree. If you kind of think about the the kind of uh, the aesthetic of a lot of the records he does and and Converge in particular, it's this idea of kind of controlled chaos. Yeah. You know, and and, and putting it in, in a way where the end product is actually pleasing to listen to, which is not fucking easy which is why he's one of the best people at that i think you know yeah. i've never gotten to work work with him but i kind of something i would definitely i wouldn't be mad at if i ever got the opportunity and like everything he does is pretty pretty analog yeah you know is what it, i mean is it taped though it's not tape. i'm not just it. saying like you know there's no the like and- there's no like you know programming of anything if there was a sound you were looking for like we'd figure it out and mic it up yeah you know what i mean like we wanted like a lo-fi effect at one part in one of the songs and Instead of him just throwing a um, a plug in on whatever it was, we like took a microphone and put it in between like headphones and like you know recorded that. Yeah. And then he would kind of EQ it a little bit, but That's dope. it was it was it was a really cool experience. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I th- I've only like seen him maybe once or twice since then. And he's a good dude. He's a nice guy. Really nice guy. Yeah. Anyway, so so you're 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 coming to this band as the hired gun, and you end up recording their whole record for him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we collectively wrote it together. It was okay. Actually, there was a funny thing that Kurt said to me when uh, at the time the other guitar player wasn't in the room because he was like in the room and he was like tracking and he kept messing up, messing up, and then. Kurt was just like he's like he's like can we just have Chris do it, and then Garrett left the room and well, I did a few takes or whatever. And he pauses in, he looks back at me, and he just goes, "Here's the deal. Garrett was meant to wear moccasins, and you were meant to play guitar." Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I was like, I thought it was hilarious. I don't <laughs> think people realize, especially back in back in the day when you were dealing with um, you know because now so many people do stuff on their own. And so time isn't really as much a factor in tracking or, you know, the editing process, things you can do to take maybe a not so tight player and make them sound tight. But back in the day, it's like, hey, we got 10 days in the studio. I think this was like six. There you go. Yeah. Um, and we need to get these parts down. So it's like whoever can play them the best is tracking everything, so whether that's both sides of the guitar or bass included or, or whatever. And you really... When you don't necessarily have time for that. I mean, God forbid was lucky where like our first couple records were literally left, right. It was my brother. Like I would play my part. He would play his part. Our drum, our bass player would play his, his parts. And we were, you know, um, eventually though that changed, you know, where we would do records. And it's like whoever kind of wrote the part would play it tighter. So it was just to kind of save time and, and it kind of devolved, you know, it devolved from that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean that's what you have to do to kind of uh, keep it moving. Yeah, with the budgets and and the you know the deadlines. Yeah. So, um, how long did you end up staying with that band? Oh, it was only uh, plus like a little over a year. Because like I, what I was getting at there was like we did, like I said, it was like a deathcore band, and then we did this hardcore record, and then it came out, and basically everybody hated it. It was weird. Um, Why did uh, you make a hardcore uh, record? Because like. Um, you're just touring with a lot of hardcore bands. No, and the, it, it wasn't my idea. It was uh, it was Zach, the singer of the band, um, because you know he he started the band and kind of had the most say, like kind of where the direction was going. And like I'm the new guy, I'm not gonna you know. Of course. Be like, no, fuck that. We're gonna do it just like how we used to, or you know. He's um, like, guys, I went to this terror show, and uh... <laughs> I mean, kinda. <laughs> uh, so well it's odd because like at the time when it came out everybody hated it and then years later people started liking it and like it was like it was like you know we we had already broken up and everything at the time but it's just maybe it just was uh i don't know how to put it just like it was bad timing for us to put out a record like that you know i think we might have uh, gone a little bit too from one extreme to the next and we if we kind of like eased our way into it maybe a record like that the third one or fourth one even would probably translate a little bit better but yeah see it sounds like you live and you learn you do live you and know you learn. did you just come up with that that's brilliant yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so uh so that band split up and is this when you start playing with for the fallen dreams yeah so it was it was funny how quick it was so right after like the band split up i moved back to iowa and within a couple weeks, honestly, of being back in Iowa, my buddy Joe Ellis, who I was talking to you about earlier, um, he was uh, playing bass in For the Fallen Dreams. And 
he uh i remember him calling me and he's just like he's like yo he's like jason just quit the band um would you want to come to michigan and play these shows it wasn't even like it wasn't even like an offer to join, to join. yeah yeah it was like they had these shows with the data remember and like they were kind of in a tight spot because like you know they were, these are big shows for them really big shows and so i was like yeah of course and so i remember like telling my dad i was like i was like all right i'm gonna I, at the time i had like a 1997 gmc jimmy that was like always having problems and i was like that's, all right. that's how that goes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was like i'm gonna drive this thing to, to michigan to go play these shows with this band and everything my dad's like He's like, you ain't gonna make it a hundred miles down the road before that thing breaks down. See, if you'd known Doc Coyle, he would told you to get a Toyota, motherfucker. Last three hundred thousand miles, yeah, no problem. Well, now I know, man. Uh, <laughs> funny thing is that, that that thing that thing withheld like ten trips back and forth. Oh, it, it held up. It held okay. that never, hey, man, knock on wood. Yeah, it never it never broke down. Nothing. Um, so I went out there and I, you know, I kind of the same routine. Just like I had a few days to learn the songs and. Did that did these uh three shows of the day to remember and then after that that uh jim hawking the guitar player was just like he's like yo he's like do you want to do this with us you want to like you want to join the band because we're you know we got these tours coming up and then we get this record and, and i was like yeah absolutely and so it's kind of how that happened and so uh, i saw so according to wikipedia you know because i do a lot of research oh because it's show, accurate i'm a real listen i'm trying to i'm questioning the accuracy i want you to tell me if this is accurate okay it says you were playing with them from 08 to 09 is that accurate? Yeah, it was accurate because it was. Uh, you've been you've been pediated. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> or, or, I, or have you been wikied? No, because no, that, that makes sense because I think, oh, man, what was it when I joined Barry Dead? It had to have been 2010 because I think one of the last tours I did with For the Fallen Dreams was a Thrash and Burn tour. Actually, yo, know, I I remember. Listen, if, we might have to put out the Chris Kane. Forever committed to being in some <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm right there with you on that. Listen, um, maybe like, I think we should get one like for Kyle, for you. You know, I mean Tommy, he's been, you know, he's kind of forever committed. So yeah, <laughs> I think everyone, maybe just John. John's the only one that's like, you know, he's, he's kept he's kept his band whoredom to a pretty uh, limited, limited. Well, the scope. reason why I the reason why I left for the Fallen Dreams was not because the band broke up, I got kicked out or anything. It's we did a tour with Barry Your Dead, and I became pretty close to Mike uh, Mike Terry, and so shout out to Mike Terry. We gonna get yeah, him on the show, guys. Yeah, what up, player? I might get him today. I might call him. Like, Yo, player, what you doing, man? You know, I was supposed to after this. I was supposed to go to his restaurant. If y'all didn't know, Mike Terry's a he's a chef, and he uh, he runs this restaurant called Five Line Tavern in Glendale. So just go there, bother him, have him make you some food. It's pretty is he, good. How late is he working? I'm on Mike over there. You want to come with me? They have vegan food. I have my girl. My girl. Yeah, eats fuck it. Let's go. Um, well, well we going to the movies. I think he's. I think he'll be there till five. Oh shit! Because we're going to. The, I have movie tickets. So what time? At two. So okay. Yeah, that's not gonna work. I'll, I'll, I'll text him. We'll figure it out. Yeah, but anyways, I, I got a phone call from him and Slim one night because uh, Aaron uh, Bubble, the bass player of the band, was uh, he had like just left. Yeah, he's just kind of over it, I think. And so um, they called me, and they're, and they're just like, yo, like we want you to do it. And they were basically just kind of being funny about it. They're like, they're like yeah, do you want to stay in like your little like melodic hardcore band? Like, oh, he's like, they're, they're, just, they're all, just dissing you? I, I think they were all buzzed up when they called me. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh, you, like, they're like, oh, you want to come and join the big boys and fucking do this and that? And, you know, Buried Dead was one of my favorite, you know, bands and like, 
I was like, to me, it was just like a no brainer. So you know, it's funny. So I was, I was listening. I listened to some for the fallen dreams, like the era that you were playing it. I listened to a couple. I'm like, oh, it's pretty sick. But then you listen to the bury your dead records and it's just, I think bury dead did something really cool was by working with Jason Sukoff is that their production just, it's like they basically were this kind of beat down metal core kind of hardcore, very simplistic, very straightforward. But with the production, it kind of made the band stand out. They almost had a metal, a more of a refined professional metal production with this more simplified thing. And it just, it just makes it, it made it stand out, Yeah, you know, against, because think about it. I mean, you know, you do a bunch of chugging and a bunch of yelling. It's real easy to have a lot of that stuff sound very similar and it's tough to stand out. And it, and whatever they were doing, it did stand out from, from the pack. So I could see why that situation might just seem more appealing. Yeah, I, uh, Jason Sukoff's mixes are, I love them. I thought those, those. I think they did two records with them. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that changed, that basically defined yeah. the band's kind of career in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I, I, I joined the band right after um, It's Nothing Personal kind of just hit. By the way, that's my secret favorite record. I don't know how much of a secret it is. It ain't a secret anymore. No, but I mean, I remember that. At the at the time, that shit was mad, like controversial. Yeah, like it it, you know, it seemed like a lot of the, or I, I think from the from the out from the perspective of, of fans or people from the scene, it was like, oh, these guys are trying to be new metal. They're trying to be Seven Dust. They're trying to be Slipknot or something. And so it kind of turned off a lot of those. But I'm saying, if you go on Spotify, what is it? Uh, not, I think it's some of like the the most viewed songs. Dude, it's I'll tell you. God damn it, where am I looking right now? See. Don't don't drink in a go on Spotify. Hurting not helping. Mm-hmm. Three point six million listens. I mean, like literally five six times more than any any other songs. And there's three songs from that record are in the top. Well, they because they 10. well they kind of broke through like the uh, like with some radio rock fans and then went on tours with like Disturbed and Corin yeah. and you know uh, you know just kind of. Um, introduce themselves to a whole new audience but then the band also broke up right yeah and so there seemed to be some were you there did you last long enough in the band for the breakup so what happened was um i was i was in the band up until um until the idea of having matt uh coming back and like i wanted to do it but the band took such a long break and i had at the point gotten another like i gotten like a job in Iowa, and when I say a job, I started my own lawn care business. <laughs> that's, that's what we do in Iowa: we cut grass. Did you, was it called Cane Care? It's called Select Lawn Care. Okay, I like Cane Care. Okay, right. well, I, where were you back then? <laughs> Listen, man. Or if you have some corn, Cane Corn Care. <laughs> that's just confusing. People are like to take care of cornfields. Or- CCC, baby, <laughs> <laughs> alliteration. Um, so. I wanted to come back and do it, but I was too invested in like that because, like I said, when we when we when the band got off tour and we took a break, it was so long, and like I was like, okay, well, I have to do something, you know. And so I started doing that, and you know, I I, I kind of felt bad, you know. I remember the phone call with Slim, just being like, man, I can't do it. I'm too invested in this staying at home. If I fucking back out right now, then you know, I'm like, I'm letting uh, my buddy Aaron at the time, who I started it with, and like a couple of these kids that come and work for me and stuff. I'd be like. You know, and also like my dad helped me with like the initial investment on it. And I'm just like, I'm too deep. Like I can't like get out of this. 
And so um, he was fine with it. And, um, you know, nothing, and obviously nothing against Matt at all. Matt's a sweetheart. Um, but, you know, like Mike Terry is like my best friend. And I I really kind of wanted, only wanted to do it if he was there. But uh, I don't know. I'm not saying that I wouldn't do it because it was just, it was a tough situation. Like, yeah. like, like emotionally and then like, you know, with everything that was going on at home and stuff like that. Did they, did they, did they just straight up kick him out of the band, Mike out of the band, or did he leave? Uh, he he left because he just kind of wasn't agreeing with the idea, like of what they were wanting to do. How they wanted to put out another record with Matt. Oh, like it basically was, do a record, but not really kick him out. Like kind of do they wanted to kind of have their cake and eat it too kind of situation. There was a I think there was like some kind of situation where it's like okay, if you do a record with Matt, like previous relationships that they've had with managers or whatever, it's just kind of like we can squash this beef or whatever. I, I, I can't, I can't get into a lot too of, a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of ins, a lot of outs. Do you know what? I have to have Mike on here and we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. He'll get more in depth with it. Yes. But yeah, I, I, you know, Mike, I think was kind of just like almost had his feelings hurt a little bit or whatever. Course, it's just yeah, kind of like, it's very natural. Yeah. And so he was just kind of like, nah, I'm good. So you, so. and so you pretty much figured, all right, I'm just going to do this lawn thing next 30, 40, 50 years. You yeah, know, the rest of my life. You know, so I figure that's 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 where where, where it's at. But um but no, so you went you went back to Iowa and kind of Yeah. Did, was, what was the, what was the thing just like, all right, I'm just going to chill out or your your I guess aspirations. I mean, let me actually answer this. Was all these experiences of kind of going from one band to the other and having, you know, some traction, but it's not like any of these bands was like you know t- completely took off and became some international headliner and you were like raking it in i mean was there any point of like man this is this is really tough and and you know it's not that stable and you know it's like i'm not really making a lot of headway financially or i'm, I'm presuming that i mean may, you know you can kind of uh weigh in was it was any of that were you getting jaded at all or bitter or any or any of that or just beat worn down by the whole process well at the time like I was still kind of like a kid, so I didn't have like a lot of bills and stuff yeah. like that. So the little money that I would be making weekly with Barrier Dead was I was very happy about. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to basically it was more than I ever made with any other band, gotcha. you know? And so I was like, you felt like you were making progress. I felt like I was kind of making headway, you know, like on certain aspects of it. But like, um, I mean, it, it wasn't anything. Yeah, I guess you started so young that it's just like by that point you were still really young. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was 20 when I joined Barry Dead, and then Jesus, yeah, and you really then, did start young. <laughs> you, you were you you fit a lot of activity in a in a small amount of time. Yeah, that was yeah from from 18 to 21. It was like um, yeah three different bands and yeah, a lot of traveling and uh, writing and recording and yeah partying. So what happened, what happened next? Um, so so after so basically so the band. Buried dead. I was, you know, I was not doing that anymore. So I was at home and I was doing the lawn care business and stuff like that. And I was also CCC. working. That's right. And I was also working at, um, uh, from my friend's company, which is called First Fleet Concerts. And like I was working as like a stagehand, a runner, you know, kind of on the side and stuff like that. And, um, and then a couple of years, like, so I was at home and like I was, what was that? I was 22, maybe 23. Fuck, I can't quite remember. Anyways, I, um, I was working a show at Woolies, this venue in Des Moines, and um, I was working as a runner. And it was uh, for Christina Perry, and um, 
I remember at the end of the night, I was down downstairs, like settling up receipts and stuff with her tour manager. And he just says to me, he's just like, he's like, do you play an instrument? I was like, yeah, I play guitar. And he's just like, well, how are you with like gear and stuff like that? Do you know how to like set up stuff? Are you like pretty smart with it? And I was like, I guess so. I'm like, I, you know, I was not really like a, a nerd on that, but I was always kind of interested in gear and like, you know, and he's like, well, he's like, he's like, I like your attitude. And like, I like how on top of it you are and things like that. And he's like, um, he's like, I have this artist named Joshua Raiden that I need a guitar tech for coming up in like a month. It was like, would you be interested in, in, you know, stepping away from this and coming over there and doing that? And uh, I was like, absolutely. And he's like, all right, well, email me next week. And he's like, we'll talk details and stuff like that. And sure enough, I emailed him. And then uh, he gets back to me. He's like, yeah, I would still love to have you pay his $800 a week. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? $800 a week? American? <laughs> Credit? 800 like uh, space, space bucks? Something like 25, 30 bucks a day per diem. And I was just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you're picturing all the shit in your mind you're gonna buy yeah at the time i was just like i was like man most i ever made in like a week was like 350 400 bucks so i went out with uh went out that with that guy i did a couple tours with him um and then when that kind of wrapped up i uh i was 23 and then i moved to i moved to la because the same guy chris Rossard is his name and he was just like I think if you made the move to LA, I could get you a lot more work because a lot of people are like wanting LA based techs and stuff like that. So they don't have to constantly fly them in and out, put them up at hotels, spend a lot of extra money they don't want to. And so, so me and Mike Terry, um, we'll say I missed a step in the story, but during this whole time of even being in Iowa and having the lawn care business, me and Mike started a band. He moved with me in Iowa and we started a band called Iva. And uh, it was me, Griffin Lando, who plays in the Acacia Strain now. A buddy of ours, uh, Kyle Rossi. But it was more on the the rock side. Of it was more on the rock side of things, and it was like we did a few shows. We were trying to take it serious, but like it just never really kind of uh, worked out. And then like not looking back on it, I'm just like, man, it just wasn't really that good, you know. But sometimes how it is, man. But you know, we gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta flow through th through flow through things. And I think sometimes, um, you know, being active is always the most important thing. And even if that thing isn't the thing that goes, just the physical activity of constantly doing things and taking uh, active measures in your success, I think, is all, always going to pay off, even if that thing isn't the thing that pays off. Like, if you were just not involved, then you kind of like, you know, you're all that, all that stuff, like atrophies. Yeah. Know? I hear you. Um, and so within the first week of moving to L.A., uh, I get a phone call from Chris Broussard, the same guy that got me the gig, and he's just like, he's like, uh, he's like, so you're out here now? I was like, yeah. And he's like, Christina Perry has an opening, and like, we need a backline guy. Are you interested in it? And I was like, absolutely. And so um, I think two days later, I went met up with her manager. Can you tell you about the pay? What do you say? What do you say? What's the number? <laughs> What's the number? Man? Come on, man. <laughs> that that one was uh was uh twelve hundred a week. Oh. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, like I'm still, I'm still young, and like you know, I was just like, he's like, yeah, you go, young blood, get paid, get paid. <laughs> Calvin got himself a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, what did they say? Like, get him, young blood, <laughs> get paid, get paid. Um, and so yeah, I, I felt very lucky because I had just moved here. 
Uh, I had a little bit of savings that was gonna get me by for like a few months or whatever. And then I got this job with her, which was like kind of, I was like. So what what was that experience like? Kind of coming out of this underground, hardcore metalcore scene. And the next thing you know, you're kind of involved in this this pop world. I mean, was that really eye-opening? Um, or does it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it's just different. Like how they, they, like it's just so much different how they, they run like the the operation opposed to like how you know metal and it's like a lot more there's a lot more moving parts you know what i'm saying there's like there's more like there's more employees there's more rules there's just like it's just it was different but with like most things i adjusted to it pretty quick yeah. uh you know and the the guys that i were the people that i was working with on the team um were all really cool and they're still like close friends of mine to this day that we stay in contact with and I can't say I really have that relationship with like a lot of other um, crew guys and stuff that I've worked with, with other bands, stuff like that. That one in particular, you know, it's like it's pretty much stayed like a like a family throughout the all these years and stuff like that. But um, it was a good it was a good run uh, with her. Um, and then she, the way that it ended was uh, she 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 got married and had a kid and was like wanting to take time off of touring and which is understandable. Yeah. Um, and then um and then that's where it kind of just it kind of snowballed for me because like i um i got i had that gig and then from there it went right into working for colby calais which is another kind of a singer songwriter pop artist and the pay got bigger then and then i'm gonna at, stop asking you how much <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be, be stopping rude you know but it just and then uh after that what was next Listen, all I know is the stuff you told me because you were you were working with, let's let's like backtrack. You were working with the chain smokers, yeah. And that then was the you last got one. the you got the Jay Z offer and you had to turn it down. Oh yeah, that was a that was so that was it. That was a really tough one. So I got a gig with uh with uh, Julian Casablancas, yeah. uh, the singer of the Strokes. His uh his new band, or I don't know if it's a new band, but his other band called the Voids. We got um we were going to South America for a few weeks and you know the process of South America, you have to go through all this. I don't bit. know, I've never been. Oh, you've never been? No. Oh, okay, well you have to like, to go to like Brazil and a certain other, you have to send your passport off and get yeah. the, just like how we had to do with Russia, how we had to get the visas and all these, you know, all that yeah. photos and whatever. So we went through all that. We did like, you know, we did rehearsals um, here in Hollywood and stuff like that. And um, I think it was maybe like a little bit less than a week before we were supposed to leave for the tour and I get an email. And it's from this guy, Chris Coffey. And Chris Coffey is like, a, he's a production manager. I met him on the uh, Demi Lovato tour, Nick Jonas tour. And like, uh, and then the subject said, just said Jay-Z. And like, you know, the body of the email was just like, hey, Chris, um, hope all is well with you. I have an opening for a backline tech for Jay-Z, guitars and keyboard. If you're interested, please get back to me. Um, Cause we'd like to give you the first opportunity. I just remember like putting my hand in my face and just being like, fuck my life, right? Cause like I knew that, I knew I couldn't back out of the gig that I had because of like everything that I basically invested into visas and the rehearsals and everything like that. And like, you know, trust me, like I and that would be bad for your That could be bad for your reputation. And I'm not, yeah. And I'm not one to like screw people over like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so you know it was the it was a hard pill to swallow and it was a tough reply to that just you know hey man thank you so much for the opportunity unfortunately you know i can't take the gig because i have prior obligations and um 
appreciate you reaching out. Okay, so all this time you're in you're in tech world, you know, and you're you're getting better gigs. It's you know kind of seemed like it's evolving from just a job to actually a career. Yeah, um, where you're you're building skill sets, you're making relationships, you're getting bigger and bigger opportunities. I mean, during this time, was it in the back of your mind to always get back to performing, or was it kind of like this is working out for me? But if you know something comes along, you never know. Yeah, honestly, I was pretty much. Uh... I was happy with like where I was and like, I kind of felt that I had already done, you know, playing in bands and the touring and kind of like, I almost felt like I got that out of my system. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was determined to get back into that because I was making my way, you know, up the, up the chain of like teching. And sometimes I would like tour manage some certain artists and stuff like that. And the money was getting better and better. And I was feeling more comfortable, you know, I felt like I was feeling like a real grown up for a minute. You know what I mean? And then John Berkeley came on, ruined your life. <laughs> Dude, the funny thing is about like the, the, the real quick coming back to like the Jay Z story, it was like I did the tour in South America. And then the, like, I think two days after I got back, I got a phone call from, uh, his name is David Conroy. He's the production manager for the Chainsmokers. And, and, uh, he was just like, I want to offer you like the gig with those guys. Um, and it was just basically guitar and, key tech as well and so i guess the point of it is is like i was bummed out about the jay-z thing but it's just like how a lot of the, it all ended up working out because it's like i got back after south america then i landed the chain smokers which was you know they're they were on the come up and it was it was a good gig to get yeah. the guys are really cool the staff is really cool they take care of you i mean it was uh it was quite the experience yeah all right that still didn't answer my question man so how, did, question? how do you end up, how do you end up <laughs> You know, meeting John Berklin. How do you end up playing with the? Oh, John Berklin. With the with, at the time, was there a name? Because it was uh, it was basically John and Max, Karen, and somehow you ended up jamming with these guys. How the how the hell did, did that happen? Well, so me and John, we met on the Thrash and Burn tour in two thousand nine. Going way back. Going way back. So that's when, that's when we first met, and uh, you know, like we we were like homies and stuff like that. But it's not like you know we stayed in touch over the years. It's like I'd go to Devil Driver shows, be like, "Hey, what's up, man? Good to see you." You know that type of thing. And the way this happened was, I posted a video on Instagram of me just noodling on guitar, playing some like blues riff. And then about an hour after I posted it, like he calls me and he goes, "So, dude, so I uh, yeah, I forgot that you played guitar." <laughs> <laughs> and so, and he's just like. Um, He's like, you know, I'm starting to write music again. And this was actually before he kind of brought me involved with him and Max because he was like, he's like, I'm trying to do like this rock thing or like, you remember yeah. when he was yeah. kind of, yeah, like so, that kind of Foo Fighters y sound yeah. shit. And so we were, we were doing that for like a few months trying to like work on that type of stuff. And it was like, I remember there was like one day where like something just kind of wasn't working out. Like we were trying to come up with something. And then I think we just kind of like look at each other when he's just like, it was just like, man, do you want to just say fuck this shit and just stick to what we're good at and just like just work on the heavy stuff? You know, he's like he's like with me and Max and I was like, yeah, I think that's maybe the move. And so and then uh yeah, and then Max came over to my house in Huntington Beach and um was like showing me ribs. It was basically like a like a tryout. Yeah. But they and, had already been working on some stuff. Yeah, yeah, they've already had they cuz he was showing me stuff like during the whole time that we were trying to do the rock music stuff he was showing me stuff that him and max have been writing like pacifico for example was like the first one that you know and then uh learn to live before obviously before it was called that um just like those demos and stuff like that and uh 
so yeah like i said max came down to my house and like it was basically like a tryout and like, he was leaving that day and he's just like he's like yep he's like you're the guy what um what did you think about the stuff they were working on i thought it was great i thought it was like pretty uh like it was it was it had his own originality to it like it was like almost like something that i hadn't really heard before obviously it's like heavy and kind of genty and i don't i can't even put my finger on it it was just something it was just something there that i heard that i was just like like i said i haven't really heard before and i yeah. it really kind of struck a chord with me so was it uh did it feel kind of stylistically within your wheelhouse uh no i felt very uh intimidated by it because it was you know it's very technical stuff and like but if anything it pulled me out of i guess a rut that i was in because i was doing all these teching gigs and i wasn't really taking guitar that serious anymore i was still playing and still very much interested in the the you know the instrument and stuff like that but i wasn't putting a time in like i used to and i wasn't pushing myself like i used to and you know this this thing came about and um it's brought me back as a player i feel like because like i feel like i was here and then i went down and then like slowly back up to like well people might not know that chris kane is a shredder all right this dude can play fucking guitar he fucking you know he hold, you know, why, why me, you know, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm holding on. This motherfucker's holding it down. See, Daco <laughs> holding on. He's holding it down. But um, no, you're one of the best rhythm guitar players I've ever played with. Like, oh, thanks, like, man. Dude, your your technique is insane. And a lot of this stuff, it was really outside of my wheelhouse because my, at the kind of my core, I'm a thrash metal guitar player. And that's, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, if you, you put a Metallica song or a Slayer song, that's the stuff I'm really going to kind of really fundamentally understand the technique and how to get across in a way that that uh it's it's supposed to sound so just the the low tuning and the kind of the percussive nature and a lot of the the, the rhythms it was a real learning curve you know for it was me a challenge man yeah yeah um so i think i think we've we've come a long way but i feel like a lot of the stuff for you seems to come more naturally and that's probably just the era i think you probably got into guitar and you know, playing in all these bands that tune really low and kind of, you know, just being a little more, you know, honed in that um, era, you know, pro probably gives you that just that extra step of like, all right, you know, getting it and, and fundamentally being connected to it. I think a lot of it was like, I, I'd have to think like, you know, bury your dad or whatever, because like yeah. some of the, the like the rhythm patterns is kind of what trained, I guess, the right hand to kind yeah. of just, yeah. I don't know how to put it, but yeah. Um, so I, I guess in a, in a lot of ways, so I, I probably joined up, I think around 2015 or 16, something like that. I actually have to like go back to remember all the years start to kind of, yeah, start to, start to kind of blend together. But I started basically transcribing the songs and then it was me and John and like no one, cause you were on tour. So it was like, it was real rough. <laughs> You know, because I, I, you know, it was, I was still trying to put it together and it was, it was just a really steep learning curve in it. And I remember when you, and it was, I think it was me and John, and then we were like looking at bass players. And I was like, okay, we kind of have, and we, at the time we didn't find a bass player, but then when you kind of came back off tour and we actually got to play together, it was, it was a real like kind of <sighs> moment because you know, as as a guitar player, if, if you're not comfortable with something and you're kind of you're out there and you don't, it just feels good to have another guitar player to kind of bounce things off of and have someone to lock in with. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was uh, 
it was just a, it was a really cool experience because you came in you had like sick guitar and like you know uh were you using my head at that time or did you have it you no, i was uh actually no i had a 5150 but then uh there was something wrong with it and yeah. it kept making like a weird noise and then I eventually but I just remember you had like a good tone you had a guitar that worked for the like it's just you know i think so many i've been had the real fortune to play with a lot of players and a lot of different kinds of bands and it's interesting how many people don't focus on tone you know like that that that's going to kind of seal the deal in terms of how we're trying to translate this recording into a live thing and they'll kind of you know it's like showing up to it with like a fender strat to play in like hate breed or something it's like nah dude you don't you know what i'm saying some people's like well i got a guitar i'm like okay but you know it's like, i was thinking about this the other day it's like if our guitars got lost you know at the airport and we had to do a gig like it they couldn't just give us random guitars like we'd be fucked we just have to not play because yeah. we need like the right string gauge and we need certain things that are set up there's a very particular thing that this band does um pickups yeah we yeah we couldn't just like plug into some marshals and then have it work like we just have to like we just literally couldn't play (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) funny to think about actually you know but anyway so i I thought i thought that was that 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 was really cool but at at the time you know because i know how i kind of thought about it but did you have any idea that the kind of trajectory or that the potential was there for what anything close to what we're dealing with now? Uh, I mean, I, okay. Like I knew that there was something good there, but like, I didn't know that it was going to turn into this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like obviously with the help, I mean, zombie being zombie catapulted the career for the band. I mean, we all know that. Yeah. But like, um, I always knew that there was something on the metal side of things that was, like I said, I feel like kind of original, and like could like capture people i always felt really good about it yeah but then things kind of altered where this other kind of rock side of things and kind of more commercial aspect of the band got um infused which for me honestly was a lot more appealing to me because the truth is before bad wolves i was kind of you know i I just wasn't that interested in being in a straight metal band um, just from a preference standpoint. So as the band got more diverse and, and brought in a little more rock influence and more and stuff that's uh, even like a song like No Masters, a little more mid-tempo, mm-hmm. straightforward, it, it became a lot more kind of just into the things that I'm into. You know, was that was that similar for you? Yeah, I mean, the the second the rock stuff, yeah, kind of came into play, I was, uh, I was definitely feeling it. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, there's, those are some of like, like no masters is definitely my favorite song to play live yeah you know and then uh i even have fun playing you know hear me now because like kind of like the simplicity of it it just kind of i don't know how to put it it's like you don't have to like sit and concentrate you can you can enjoy the moment like with you know you guys on stage and then you know with the audience and everything else like that sing along with them they sing back to you. You're not having to just like stand there like a fucking machine and just be like, you know. Yeah, like, there's a there's a real I think technician aspect to the uh, the the real advanced guitar playing stuff where you know you really have to put your concentration into it or else there's a good chance it could go off off the rails. And me, I'll concentrate on stuff and it'll still go off the rails. <laughs> so <laughs> me too, man. It won't it won't it, it, it won't it won't even matter. But yeah, I. I I always tell the story of, of seeing in flames for the first time and uh god forbid opened up for him 
and we were playing really technical like death metal mixed with math core and all this stuff and 20 parts in a song and just seeing in flames up there like playing like they have technical stuff like leads and stuff but a lot of their stuff was like just power chords and and they're up there smiling and high-fiving and i'm just like i, I want i want to smile high five <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to enjoy myself i don't want to be all and all, you know how about their guitar tone live oh it's it's absurd it's insane yeah and they by the guess what they sounded that good for 20 fucking years yeah yeah they've they've always dialed sounded, yeah i mean but you know i'd say 90 percent of it is just the the technique and the and the players and the songs you know just having, as john brooklyn says it's the player listen man <laughs> it is the fucking it is the fucking hands so bad wolves has a new record coming out you know and you know you got to contribute a little more on this this record than the last one how do you how do you feel how you feeling about how you feeling about the new record that is yet to be released i'm feeling pumped about it man like yeah. i was actually just listening to all of the songs yesterday um and the, i don't think there's one on there and from my personal opinion i there's not one song on there that i'm like eh. yeah it's like you know i listen to the whole thing and i get stoked about every single one of them yeah i mean i think the only you know, it's funny. We're talking about this, and it's not out, so no one's really going to have a frame of reference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's a little, little insider talk. Um, you know, if anything, that we just I, I equate it to like a sports team where they have so many good players that not everyone's going to get playing time, and that can actually be a problem sometimes, right? Where it's like, hey, man, we got this great guy. He's not getting any playing time, and he's pissed off. He wants to be traded, and that's the kind of thing with this record. It's like there's only so many singles or so many standout tracks that you almost might everything might not make it and you might have to like almost like put some stuff leave it for the next record or 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 whatever but to me that's the only problem i see is just kind of like how things are released how the record shaped do we want it to be this heavy do you want it to be maybe go a little more in the lighter direction and that's that's the big kind of conversations we're having now so yeah i'll tell you what though was like a fun challenge for me on this one was just that some of the guitar solos yeah oh yeah so actually that's another thing i want to talk about so when you guys hear the new record there's a handful of solos uh probably about half the record is solos and chris actually did more solos than me and so a lot of people probably like, yo man they're gonna roll up to on me I'm like dude man you killed that solo on the song and i'm like thank you that's what i do i do it for people just like you and then in fact it'll be chris over here shredding and it's like i think now i don't think i can uh, either actually, well, two things that could happen. Either I have to say, "Hey, man, uh, Doc Coyle, lead guitar player." I'm like, "Well, technically, we're both lead guitar players in the band." So now you're well, not uh, yet. The record's not out yet. Well, because me, so. I felt like I don't think I really knew that you were a lead guitar player. So I'm, I think I did all the shit in the last record, not knowing, or maybe it just kind of fell to me or handed to me. And now it's like, you know, now I have to fight. Just to get on the on the record because this dude is just killing it because he like because I a couple of the solos it was like I didn't know that there was gonna be a solo so I start working on something and I'm like oh yeah Chris just did that and I listened to it, I was like yeah that's 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 pretty good I guess I <laughs> guess I don't have okay I'll just <laughs> well no but I think I I think that's great man because a um, even though I am a lead guitar player you know it's it's weird being in like the position where you're the only lead guitar player and you're it kind of falls on your plate and i always think it's fun to have multiple lead guitar players in the band because you get different styles you know yeah i definitely i'm i'm more of a bluesy and you know that you know yeah but some of that's but you're you're technical man and you're you're kind of like the way you 
your alternate picking runs are really clean in a way that sometimes I, I struggle with. And one thing I learned on this is, man, you know how to write a solo, man. You know how to structure it. You know how to, uh, you know, everything just felt like they're like you care about hooks in it and you care about melody and have something build and you know and, and that's the thing is to me the most important thing is the, is, is solo construction feel and personality and melody so that's a lot of things i guess <laughs> well thanks man yeah i mean they i, I definitely pushed myself um it seems like the, you work really fast like did you did those come together really quickly um so one there, there's one that i started working on like last uh winter when we were on tour and i still kind of made uh, all like little adjustments well, i know to it. that one but i'm talking about yeah. the two l later ones uh yeah no those just came within like a, maybe an hour or two of an afternoon like an the, hour or two that should take me days man i'd be up here fucking although the hardest one not even to say i'm sorry the hardest one the most <laughs> remember uh right before we left for tour i went i went to the studio and i had no idea i walk into the studio and there's like three cameramen in there like filming uh john tommy and myself and john's like yeah uh we need you to write a solo for this song and uh, no pressure they're just going to be filming you while you do it i'm just like good thing i wasn't there that should have been terrible <laughs> they're like, they're, they're like are, are you sure this is the guitar player and i could yeah, i mean I, I i almost even shocked myself it just i don't know what happened that day but it just it just fucking poured out of me and like it just came it was a it was like within maybe 30 or 40 minutes and it was track done fucking a well the thing is i i feel like when it comes to improvisation it's either hit or miss mm -hmm. and when it comes to very technical stuff sometimes i have to compose it and then i have to learn it how to play it properly and then kind of get so it's you know um i'm definitely practicing but I'm saying, so chris kane is the lead guitar player in the band i'm just backing him up <laughs> you know all the hard parts now that I'm, i've been struggling with i'm like yo man i synced you do the solo in 45 minutes so this is yours now <laughs> I'm gonna be back over here working on this power chord. Let you, <laughs> let you do the heavy lifting. <laughs> no, but man, some of the stuff that you did on the first record is is so far out of my like realm. Um, yeah, like, I can't even play it, motherfuckers. Out of my realm too. <laughs> See me struggling? No. <laughs> oh, I'm struggling, baby. It's 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 rough. Um, well, I tend to do that. I tend to almost write things out of my playing ability with the idea that I will work up to it and then you kind of you know you got to climb that mountain every day um so that's what happens but uh all right man you know what I, I feel pretty good about this i feel like we've told your story i feel like i've i've learned a lot i think the audience has, has, has learned a lot and uh and we've created a lot of anticipation for a record that they haven't heard yet so they're hearing us talk about some shit and they're like i don't know i have no reference for this i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> so you guys when you listen to the record you can go back and listen to the end of this conversation. You can hear us, uh, you know, sucking each other's dicks over here like a bunch of dickholes. <laughs> <laughs> As I elo eloquently, eloquently put it. But uh, Chris Kane, thank you so much for being on the show. I love you. I'm pumped to fucking go on tour and fucking kick ass this year. And if people hear this record, all right? Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I love you too, homie. No problem. You got any products you want to you want to pump up? Anything? Uh, like you got a, a you know a hat company or a shirt comp nothing uh nah well i heard i heard if if uh i mean you know, if you, any guitar players out there demarzio pickups baby yeah. all the way yeah and he will customize your shoes you know just let you know he he has six to nine hours a day free to do every Nike, day every day <laughs> <laughs> to do shoe customizations all right or jordan we're jordan people 
just put that there. And they're they're not paying us, but please send us shoes and money. Michael, yes. thank you. All right. Thanks, dude. That track is entitled I Swear, and it's a Bad Wolves B-side, which I argued very much for it to be an A-side, guys. I wanted that to be on the last record, and I was just outvoted, you know, but, you know, it's okay that they're wrong. It's okay. Uh, but I love I love that track. I wish we could have played it live at some point, you know. I know it. I know how to play it. You know what I'm saying? If they were like, yo, Doc, you know, I, 
I got you, player. I know how to play that shit. But that's a fun one. Figure out player, you know, Bad Wolves Deep Cut in spirit of having Chris on the show. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, I guarantee you I'm home for, what, a few weeks? And then we do a couple shows back for like a week. But I'll tell you, the next few weeks are going to be crazy. We're photo shoot, multiple video shoots. Um, it's going to be really busy. And then some rehearsals because we're I think we're doing a new song on this next tour. So uh, we will see about that. But, uh, you know, it's like... You think you have time off, but you don't. You don't really have time off. You just you're just not on the road. So, I have to kind of get in that and try and fit it, fit in as many podcasts and all these other little little projects and stuff. You know, you know me. I always got my my hand in a few different things. But um, you know, and then try and do a little relaxing in that. You know, it's all got to keep it zen. Have to ease uh the you know my my main philosophy in life is really avoiding stress. You know, I don't know if you guys know that, but yeah. I like it. It works for me. You know, it doesn't always help you uh, become like, you know, the most responsible adult. But, you know, responsible adults, stressed out, dot cool. Easy peasy, baby. That's how I roll. Anyway, I'm not going to bore you guys. Uh, stay up. Eat, eat your oatmeal, you know, and corn like, like Chris. And uh, have some fun out there, y'all. Stay stress-free. Mamba out. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.